0: You're listening to a podcast of Business News Background. A weekly roundup of the big stories here in Western Australia. Brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. Welcome along to another edition of Business News Background. I'm James Lush from Lush Digital Media. And uh, with us today, Mark Panel, Head of Content, and he's back from his travels his long vacation, Mark Byard, the uh, news editor at Business News. Welcome back. Safe and sound. A few months off, perfect. Nothing much has happened in the business world. Mark, you're all right. You're you're safe.
1: Thank you, James. (laughs) Good to be back after a nice long break.
0: You're looking very well on it. Maybe everyone needs to do that uh, long extended leave, Uh, although, of course, it makes everyone else do more. Mark, you're looking a bit more (laughs) grey-haired.
2: Yeah, I'm very glad to have Mark
0: back. Don't you worry. <laughs> Let's start with the, the the first story from this week, as as we always do. We look at the stories from this week and turn our attention to next week's paper. Let's start with um, this week. And first story up is the urban infill story the uh, the failure to achieve some of those targets that were set. Why yes. is this significant?
1: Yeah, look, this has been a long running goal of successive state governments to get more and more development in the established inner suburbs. Um, there's a goal of forty seven percent of all land development being infill in established suburbs rather than those brand new greenfields developments sort of out in the the north and the south of Perth the planning commission put out a report during the week the level of infill has actually fallen to just 28% so it just shows we've got an awfully long way to go yes if we want to try and um, contain the amount of urban sprawl that uh, is a feature of Perth.
0: We're not trying hard enough, are we?
1: So the planning, Com- the property council rather, has said, well, look, this just highlights the need for some reform to make life easier, so that people can get yeah. things done. Um, and it also, once again, highlights the role of local government. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mark, it is, um, it is one of those things where we know we need to do it, but of course the developers or whoever it is involved turns around and say, oh, yeah, I know we need to do that, but can someone else do that? We prefer the greenfield site. It's easier for us to, 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 to make a return.
2: Well, there are, there are different developers, and I, I think there's lots of developers that want to do infill. Um, there are plenty. It's just, it's just more difficult, and I think Mark's just raised that point. But that
0: why, though? The infrastructure's already there. Isn't it just a case of clearance and and, and, and accommodating?
2: Well you've got a you've got neighbours for starters. Right. Who don't necessarily want things to get built right next to where they've got their property. Uh, you've got councils that have got an existing voter base that are able to say, no, we don't want that. Uh, and, you know, in effect, that's really what this whole local government mm. argument amalgamation government amalgamation argument we're having is about. It's about You know, the state government wants bigger councils to make quicker, easier decisions rather than being held to ransom by small groups of people.
0: So legislation presumably is going to make that easier so that more of it is done because that percentage figure is pathetic, isn't it? I mean, it's not going to make a dent at all. And we're going to carry on sprawling to the point where, you know, potentially Perth is 100 kilometres north and south.
1: Yeah. And look, there's nothing new here. Um, the, The issue is well known. Um, it takes some resolve to do something about it. Um, as Mark was saying, the residents of Mount Lawley and Nedlands and Applecross and suburbs like that um, enjoy having a nice, leafy, low-density <laughs> suburb, and it makes perfect sense for them as individuals. Yeah. but for Perth as a city. That comes at a price. Yes. It and means- it depends
0: how density is done, doesn't it? it? It really does. If it's done well, it can add a vibrancy to a place that potentially was a little bit on the sleepy side.
2: Yeah, look, it's got to be done well. And I think you do see it. In, and it is uh, uh, there is a change coming. And it's certainly in some parts of Perth we are getting some of that. North Bridge. And, yes. And, you know, I think even in the east there with Vic Park and places like that, I think there's a bit of an element of it. But, it, but you need a lot more of it. and yeah. I, I think, but, yeah.
0: but Northbridge is a good example. I mean, we're, we're here right now. I mean, look how it's changed in the last couple of years. It looks a better place for it.
2: Yes, but it was run down before that, whereas people mm. might argue the suburbs that Mark
1: just mentioned, they're, not they're so quite run happy Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the second story, which is the school story and, and, and the PPP issue. And, um,
1: yeah, look, th- this leads on to something else we'll talk about, and that's the financial pressure on the state budget. Um, the the government came out quietly earlier this week and announced that the next eight schools, so four primary schools and four secondary schools, will be built, funded, um, designed and maintained by private uh, consortia. Mm. Um, this is something that other states have tried um, and it's really about shifting the funding um, out of the short term, um, but you also create a longer term uh, sort of cost because you're paying someone else to deliver a service that traditionally has come from government um, it's the kind of thing that if, if you're smart about the way you set up the contract it can work well um, and what it also means is that the people that build the schools have to maintain them so they've got a good incentive to ensure that they design and build mm, properly those in, those facilities appropriately mm. um, so look you know once again it, it's it's something new for Western Australia. Um, it's not radical by national or international standards but it's something new for us and driven in large part by the financial pressure on the state government.
0: So do you see more of that coming?
1: Um, well look, we've already had announcements about um, asset sales. Um, you know, There's all sorts of um, you know, port assets and, and land around the state that the government is looking to sell. So really, they're exploring all opportunities yeah. uh, to try and bring a bit more control to um, state debt um, and of course, we had more news on that um, from the government as well about trying to uh, get their budget under control yeah
0: well, that leads quite nicely into the budget situation because again if you're getting your report card back it's looking it's looking bad and it keeps getting worse what <laughs> And rapidly, why is that? I mean, who would have thought? Here we are in WA, where, where basically you shove your shovel in the ground and you can sell it somewhere. You know, who would have thought that with everything that was going on, we can be in such a perilous state?
1: Well, you know, one of the issues is that year after year, the government has been increasing spending by about 8% per annum. Now, Troy Buswell famously came out a year or so ago and said that's just not sustainable. Um, the... It, it was always a battle to maintain a surplus, but you know, that was covered by rapid growth in income on the revenue side, the tax side, the mining royalties. What the state government is now facing is that the share of GST revenue continues to slide in a big way, um, then on top of that, uh, the iron ore royalties are taking a big dive. Mm. The iron ore price has fallen um, far more sharply than the government had anticipated in its budget forecasts. Um, So the mining royalties are falling in a hole. And this was a point that uh, the Premier and uh, the Treasurer, Mike Nahan, were making, that they've had this double hit. And that's why they're now saying, we've got to take more action. Hence, they're talking about 1,500 job cuts, um, another 1% efficiency dividend, um, cutting maintenance on roads, um, bringing forward dividends from some of their trading enterprises. So, you know, a whole range of things mm. uh, to try and bring their finances up That's fair enough,
0: isn't it? I mean, the private sector is having to look at um, efficiency and the fact that government is looking at efficiency, I suppose as a taxpayer you'd say, well, that, that's only what's necessary.
2: Oh, i will just saying the, the irony of this is always the, the politics around it you you do have to increase spending when you've got growth to a certain degree we had a population growth we had services that need to get done because you know if you're going to build all these things up north you've actually got to have the approvals and and that takes actually more people to do it but it's also easy to add people and not control your costs when times are good same in the private sector yeah and in the and the, the irony is that now you almost need these downturns and difficult situations for the government to get things to have the reason, the excuse, mm-hmm. you know, the politics to be able to take things back. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a shame really because it'd be a much smarter government to hold spending down in the good times and be, have a little bit left over to spend in the bad times.
0: What's your take on um, his criticism of Rio and BHP today where basically he said you guys are, are causing a problem here by producing too much iron ore, it's flooding the market.
1: Yeah, well, look, the Premier has always been very good at finding somebody else to blame. Um, You know, he spent a long time banging on about the fall in WA's share of GST. Um, And it's a valid point, but, you know, equally, he does not acknowledge the government's own history of very big spending increases year after year. Um, And now there's a new one. And... uh, It's a deflecting of responsibility. So he made some very strong comments, um, effectively saying that BHP and Rio were looking to flood the iron ore market um, and that they were trying to control the price. Um, Now, their view is that they spent all these years expanding their capacity. Um, They're just pursuing their own logical commercial interests. Um, They've got a competitive advantage. Um, and like any business, they're just trying to pursue mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. competitive advantage.
0: And they're um, not going to be feeling sorry for some of the smaller players who aren't as efficient, are they? I mean no. That's not no. their, their
2: job. I, I actually liked to uh, Mark came back from that press conference and said, um, Colin Barnett had said, we're the landlord here, you know, uh, you know, we won't be treated like this. But it, it made me actually think about landlords. And if you think about shopping centres, pretty much, and I, I say this cautiously, but I think it's pretty accurate that the landlords are typically beholden to the Coles and the Woolworths, the big Mm. two majors mm. and the little guys get kind of treated and pushed around. We hear all the time how difficult it is to be a small retail tenant and they get pushed around by the landlords because really actually the business is all in those big supermarkets yes. and yes. The, the rest of it's just cream
1: on the cake.
0: Mm. Well, this is a very similar analogy. <laughs> yeah. and, and this, sorry, and,
1: and, well, and The other point that, that BHPs and the Rio's make is that while the price of iron ore is falling, you know, they're out there, you know, the increase in production that they're pushing actually brings a benefit to the state, yeah. you know, so in huge. terms of, good of, point. of royalties, but also employment, yeah. and just generally you know, sustaining activity in Western that's right, Australia. Because, I mean,
0: that's a good point. I mean, if they were to cut back and say, OK, well, fine, we listen to you, Premier, we'll, we'll stop being as efficient and we'll, we'll, we'll cut our load, they would have to cut jobs at the same time, wouldn't they? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's, um, it, it links in nicely with, with the feature next week, which is um, coming out on Monday, which is looking at exports. What have you focused on?
2: Well, we, we do this every year. We go and get all the uh, export data that we can, and there's quite a lot of it nowadays. It's actually quite transparent. So we've had our annual look at the uh, exporters, and of course, they're, they're all pretty much up. Um, and we basically look at the companies, and in some cases, the joint ventures that that um, produce the, really the wealth that not just powers this state, but powers the country. I mean, it's nearly 50% mm. of, the, of the nation's exports come Maybe. out of here. Mm. Um, the, the big players, um, BHP Billiton, if you take all its interests in WA, is the biggest exporter by value because it's got a bit of the north-west shelf and it's got
1: uh, nickel and and, uh, Worsley, it's got a share in Worsley and things like that. Um, In fact, I'll just make a note there. Collectively, if you look at all the exports attributable to BHP Billiton, it's about 20% of the state's entire exports. So it just shows... It's huge. What it's big big player they are. It's wow. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, and then if you break it down, I mean, it's, it's Rio after that, and then it's the Northwest Shelf, and, and if you take the Northwest Shelf and split it up into its units, then Woodside, because it's got its own operations, fits in next. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, the, uh, there's not a great deal of newness in that, but it is very interesting. And, and what I've just done, a little exercise I've just done as part of this, is to go and look at, well, let's look at 10 years ago, what was it like, which is really the start of the boom that we've just had. Now BHP wasn't the biggest exporter in terms of iron ore, it was, it was still below, um, Alcoa was ahead of it actually, but BHP was still, it was number three, it had $2.5 billion mm-hmm. in export value. Mm-hmm. In today's terms that is $3.3 billion, okay, mm-hmm. so just, yeah. Now the numbers we've got for this financial year for BHP, iron ore, iron ore not the whole lot twenty four billion dollars wow, all right that's an amazing change and overall 31 billion for BHP right so so they've gone from the in real terms 3.3 to 24 in mm. 10 years mm. and that's I think getting back to what Mark's saying about I'm not quite sure the premier can belt BHP over the head over mm. this issue because that is a huge amount of royalty income coming in that wasn't coming in anywhere be- before is, yeah. I mean it's massive
0: yeah Good point. Numbers like that are staggering and you, you just recognise the importance of WA as you say and that's why it goes back to that. Well, how can we possibly be in the, the situation that we are in? I mean most people will find that extraordinary. Let, let's look at a couple of other stories that are going to be featuring next week in the paper. Uh, very briefly, first of all the management consultants, you've been looking at some of the management consultants here in uh, in WA.
1: Yep, look that's a sector that's gone through a big change. Um, we've seen some of the uh, the global heavyweights like uh, McKinsey and uh, Bain and Co and Boston Consulting have all moved into the Western Australian market they've just got a, an established presence here but more recently uh, we've seen some really interesting changes um, Azure consulting is a, a local startup that's tied into uh, um, John Poynton's business um, they're achieving some rapid growth and they've added some uh, Uh, They've just picked up a a heavyweight person, Angus Jaffray, to bolster their ranks. Um, Also a couple of the big accounting firms, um, EY's picked up some people from a specialist mining group, Um, KPMG did something similar, Um, but then you get an engineering firm like Worley Parsons, they've just established a new advisory business. So all of these people are positioning themselves because there's so much change going on. Yes. You know, the pace of change seems to increase continually. Um, There's economic and commercial pressures. There's regulatory pressure. Does the
0: consultant also suggest that, you know, it's in for a project but not necessarily on the books as a full-timer, and and that's the difference, do you think? You know, again, it's cutting costs rather than having someone full-time?
1: Look, absolutely. But I think they'd see their view as sort of bringing some um, sort of specialist skills. As and when required. um, That that don't sit permanently within businesses. Mm. They can come in and and help them through this period where so much is going on.
0: Yeah. Okay. And
2: and yet we see the same thing as we've, you know, we've been talking about with the government. You've got some consultants were sitting there in some of these large companies charging very high fees and literally like permanent staff for months and months or years and years and now that's changing and what's been so interesting is watching the management consultants are now changing as well which is what really they're good at doing (laughs) and they're 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 shifting they're trying to diversify which hence some there's been some transactions and these groups joining up and they're looking at the new opportunities you know government government's got all sorts of pressures on it it needs people to give it direction yeah, as well and some private companies too so it's you know it's a pretty fascinating business i reckon
0: really is it, it just shows how every sector at the moment is having to cut its cloth differently from you know a couple of years ago it brings out that sh- sort of um clever thinking it has to let's just end with um, indigenous business how's that going
2: yeah well look this is um we've got some data uh from the office of the registrar of indigenous corporations and i have to admit i, I didn't actually know this this actually existed, but one of our reporters found it, got this data. So these are about Aboriginal or Indigenous corporations that effectively represent the uh, They're the formal um, body that represents the community's structure. Usually money from uh, royalties or native title agreements, those sort of things are all transferred through these corporations, so they're not always businesses per se, they're yeah. a special type of entity. What we've found is that um, last financial year, They had income, combined income of more than 500 million. So that's in WA, right? So that's that's a monumental, monumental amount of money. I think going through that sector, and then usually that gets spent through the communities, right? Um, The interesting thing is these these things exist across the country, and you know, in the past, a typical per head um, uh, value has been about the same as the rest of the country. Now. Basically they're getting um, $2 million, uh, per head, it's, du- it's double the national average. Wow. So, sorry, i using the right, they're basically they're, d- they're getting double the income rate um, per, it's not per head, but per capita.
1: And once again, the report attributes this primarily to what's been happening in the Pilbara. Of course it is, yeah. With the, the boom yeah. in the iron ore industry yeah. up there. We just had a flow-through benefit yeah. to the original corporations, mm. and, and takes the pressure off government up there. Mm. You mm. know, the, the, these, are, well, these become right, more that. autonomous yeah, groups yeah. that can look
2: after themselves and yeah. you know participate economically in, in in the nation, not just not just sit there and take money from the state. <laughs>
0: Fascinating. Interesting how all the stories are sort of linked together this week, and I'm sure mm. there'll be many more weeks when it's very similar. Um, nice to have you back, Mark. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. I'm so tanned and relaxed. Um, we could do <laughs> the same. Uh, Mark Panel and uh, Mark Bye, thank you very much indeed. We'll have uh, another Business News Background same time next week. Till then, have a good week. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast of Business News Background, brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. For more information, go to the website businessnews.com.au.